Here we go, 2024. How was you guys break? Whoever had a break, how was it? Good. Busy? Good? Good. Good. Busy and good, that's all we got. All right. Um, anyone already given up on their New Year's resolutions? This is this a safe place? We believe in grace. <laughs> we haven't started yet. No, started one. Nice. Okay. I've apparently decided to become a goth. I got dressed this morning. It's like, man, I'm a goth. Okay. Um. Anyone decided to work out more? No. Quit smoking. Travel more. Yeah. Drink less. Yeah. Learn a new skill. I've already given up. Get up earlier. <laughs> Go to bed earlier. Yeah, there's a good one. There, Read the Psalm a day. Yeah. 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 Community. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of my New Year's resolutions, apparently yearly, is to drink more water. I really struggle yeah, with drinking point. water. I don't know what your relationship with water is like, but personally, mine, it's, it's touch and go with me and water. Um, the more you drink, the more you want. You have to want. get one of these. It makes you thirsty. I've tried all kinds of different water bottles, even a goth black water bottle. Um, You're so cool. But when I was younger, I drank a lot of milk, which is interesting. I remember ordering milk at a restaurant, which is disgusting, now that I think about it. Uh, then we got into Coca-Cola. Oh. And then when I was a teenager, I'd always drink Arizona green tea. Ninety-nine cents, such a good deal. And then now, as a middle-aged man, I can live off of coffee. Like if I could, I would. And some cat sauce every once in a while would be good for me. And the thing is, water knows this, and water's bitter about it. And so there's thirty-six years of resentment between water and I. And Maybe I'm getting older, and, and maybe my body is just kind of telling me something like, dude, what more do we need to tell you? Like, you have headaches all the time, your family tells you you're irritable, um, you have, like, you're tired and you're lightheaded. And so every January, I'm like, this is the year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be one of those people who drink water, who bring their water bottle everywhere. And like, they're at your house, and you're like, hey, can I get you a glass? And I actually brought my own water. I'm going to be one of those people. Um, but I was doing some research, and you know how much water you're actually supposed to drink as, a, as an adult male or two eight, liters? Eight glasses. Let me read you an actual stat. The U.S. National Academics of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine determined that an adequate daily fluid intake is about 15 and a half cups of fluids a day for men and an 11 and a half cups of fluids a day for women. So that's four Nalgene's a day. That's probably my yearly rate. <laughs> but this is what they're saying you need to drink every single day. Tom, I'm 18, and I'm like you, I never, ever, ever drank water. So you're saying I have to do it? This is the first year my daughter bought me this. The more you drink, the more you want. That's true. She's so good. That's actually the whole point of this sermon. Amen. <laughs> so morning preach, so we're good to go. So anyways, the point, that's a lot of water. That's 15 and a half cups of water is a lot of water. And here's the thing. I, it's not like I'm never thirsty. Like, I'm thirsty all the time. It's just, what do I do when I'm thirsty? And I go to, like, coffee, which is the, it makes you thirsty. And I'm like, why am I thirsty all the time? Why is this not quenching my thirst? You see, we are embodied creatures, and we're designed for something outside of ourselves to nourish us and to sustain us. 
We, unlike God, are not self-sustaining. We need help from some outside source. And it's good for us to remember this. So it sounds like a few of us struggle to drink water. That's good. We're, we're in this journey together. Yeah. And today, what we're going to be talking about um, and is uh, we're going to be talking about water. And more specifically, we're going to be talking about water as a type and title for the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Yes. So we're in a new series that we've called Come Holy Spirit. Yes. And we're going to be here for the next six weeks. Cool. And this series was actually birthed out of a prayer time we had as uh, couples, leadership couples a few weeks ago. And two different scriptures came through. One came from Joel chapter 2 about the Spirit coming and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And that was really, that seemed to really land. And there's another one from Acts chapter 1 that I personally felt was like significant for our community this year. So I just want to read just this one verse, and the whole next six weeks we're going to be thinking through kind of what does it look like to develop a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yes. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. So he's, uh, he's come back from the dead. He's about to ascend back to the Father. He's uh, been with them for 40 days. It says talking about the kingdom of God, which is amazing. I'd love to be a part of those conversations. And this is uh, verse 8 of Acts 1. And I believe this is God's word for us. I say that with all humility. But you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yes. So we want to take some time over the next six weeks to think, to think through this text. And we're going to be looking at um, who, uh, Francis Chan's this book called The Forgotten God, which I think so brilliantly encapsulates kind of how we think about the Holy Spirit. He's either so weird we don't want, want to have anything to do with him, or we're like obsessed with him and we think he's the only thing that really matters. So what does it look like to have a healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit? So we're going to be asking a few questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit not do? Which I think is a helpful question. Why is the Bible not enough? What is the power that we're to receive when we receive the Holy Spirit? How are the gifts of the Spirit used? Then we have a guest speaker coming in February from Arkansas, just chatting with someone. Their goal is to go uh, uh, snowmobiling, or skidooing, as the Canadians <laughs> call it. Um, so if you know anyone who has a skidoo, or a, um, what do they call it? Snowmobile. I'm so American, just let me know, and we'll figure out how to do that. But he's going to be talking about hearing God's voice, and then we're going to end up this whole entire six weeks with talking about how can we actually live life in the Spirit? Because that's the invitation we see in the New Testament. That's good. And then we haven't forgotten about dear old Matthew. We're going to get back to Matthew in, in uh, March. But the point is that we, uh, remember that word we got a couple years ago about being a people who read sea charts, not just roadmaps. Right. We want to be a people who are open to God's leading. And like we've set a course as a community for the heart of God and how we get there may take some different turns. We may think we're going to be in Matthew for 12 years and then we might take some time and it's 24 years that we're actually in Matthew. And <laughs> Anyways, we want God's Spirit to speak to us. And so we pray this prayer. If you've been around Anchor Point for any amount of time, you've heard us say, come Holy Spirit. Open up your hands and we say, come Holy Spirit. You know, some of you are like, why do we do this? I'm sure. And this is a prayer that's been prayed forever, since the ancient times. And in many variations and ways, it's a welcoming prayer. And that sits at the beating heart of the empowered church of Jesus. Like, there's something to this prayer that we pray. It seems like every generation has found a way to pray this prayer. So in the early 200s, early theologian Hippolytus wrote an invocation of the Holy Spirit that says this, and we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. 
In the, eight, in the 800s, not 1800s, but the 800s, a Frankish monk, Rabanus Maris, wrote a song called Veni Creator Spiritus, or Come Creator Spirit. And the prayer begins this way, Come Holy Spirit, Creator, come. And in the 1200s, the prayer, Come Holy Spirit, or again, Veni Sancti Spiritus, took on fresh life and became a common prayer in the Western Church. And this historic prayer begins with the powerful words, Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. So for us, at Anchor Point, we pray this prayer as a prayer acknowledging our need for help outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the water analogy, like, hey, we're thirsty. Come, Holy Spirit. Yeah. I can't quench my own thirst. And for, it's not that we don't believe he's, we, we live and move and have our being in God, Acts talks about. But it's about us becoming more aware of his presence, mm-hmm. his proximity. Come closer to us, God. Make us aware of your nearness to us, is that prayer. And so that's why we pray that, to ask God to make his presence known, and that his presence would be made manifest in our midst. Because that's what we long for. We actually long for God's presence to be expressed and experienced in the greatest way possible. We don't come at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings every week just to hear people sing songs. Like Christian karaoke, basically. It's kind of weird. But we come to encounter God. When we meet with one another, it's not just Sunday mornings, when we hang out together in community groups, we long to encounter God. Some of us wake up early and open the Bible and sit there silently to encounter God. That's what the purpose of the life of a disciple is, to encounter God. And the good news is that that's what he wants for us. He wants to encounter us. And we want to experience all of God that we can experience. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. So today, my goal is really simple. It's just to draw some attention towards your thirst. And I want to point us towards the living water. Okay? So I'm going to open up my Bible, and I'm going to read from John chapter 7, and I'm going to actually ask you guys to stand, and we're going to read just two verses together. This is from John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is God's word. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Thank you. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Come Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. We invite you to reveal to us your heart this morning. The very heart of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and you Holy Spirit. We thank you for the reality that is your love, that is your presence, that is your purpose, that is your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, this morning that we would encounter it in a new way. Lord, as we are looking at these scriptures together, would you make us thirsty if we're not thirsty? And if we're thirsty, Lord, this morning, would you show us how to drink from the well that never runs dry? Thank you, Father. So, Lord, we look to you. We say there's... There's so much we need, yet there is an abundance in, in you, Lord, that is unspeakable yes, and unknowable. 
And so today would we be able to taste and see that you are in fact good. Yes. And Lord, would this be the beginning of, of a new phase of our community, of encountering you. And that even this morning, Lord, as we're hearing from your word and praying together, that we would receive the spirit in a greater way. Yes. We'd receive empowerment in a fresh way. Yes, oh God. So we yield to you. We trust you. You're so good. Thank we pray you, this in Jesus' name. And everybody Lord. said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Right, can I have a seat? Mm. Do you guys feel that unquenchable thirst for more? Whatever it might be. More peace. More rest. More stuff. More love. More acceptance. More friends. More time to yourself. Whatever it might be. Why does our thirst for whatever seem to constantly be unquenchable? And so I think this is the big idea. There is a drought in our soul... And so we go about quenching it in various ways. So how do we learn to have the, the drought in our soul be quenched by the only thing that's actually really going to quench it, which is God's spirit? That's what I want us to think about today. So I'm going to tell us the story again, because it's good to just be reminded of the, the story of Scripture, the story of the Bible, and where we find ourselves within it. So in the beginning, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, exist for all time in this beautiful relationship of love. So from this place of um, creative, other-centered, looking at the other more than themselves, this self-giving love, creation overflows. Because when you think about like actual, real, good love, it can't help but want to share itself. And so that's what happens. It explodes out and over into creation. Mm. And so God creates all that we can see and things that we can't see as well. He creates spiritual beings, this whole spiritual realm. And in this realm, God's, he's like inviting all of, everything he's created into kind of this reality of Father, Son, and Spirit, of relational kind of knowing and being known. And he's like, hey, come rule with us. We want to kind of partner together. We want to share this with you. We want, to, we want you to kind of see what we're up to. And so the thing is, like, some of the spiritual beings, like, from the pretty early on, are like, nah, I think we're good. We want to do our own thing. We don't really need your help. They have this quench, they have this desire for more power and for more stuff. And so like God's like, hey, that actually isn't going to happen here. And so they go out on their own to try to quench their thirst and they rebel against God's good rule and reign. Mm -hmm. God continues to create. He creates uh, over uh, time everything we see. So the, the earth that we walk on, uh, bananas, he creates avocados, water apparently as well, coffee, definitely. And... The Cabernet Sauvignon, great as well. And so he creates all these good things. And in the middle of a, like a kind of a wasteland, uh, this tohu abohu is the Hebrew term, he creates and provides a spring in the middle of this desert that, that's going to be a source of life. So that spills out into the Garden of Eden, and we see all these luscious um, fruits and vegetables and things grow from this, what was a wasteland. But the crowning jewel of his good creation, believe it or not, is you and I. It's humanity. We're made in his image, and we're made to reflect his image to the rest of the world around us. We're made to partner with him in his spreading of that goodness into all, every single nook and cranny of creation. So he create, creates us male and female in his image to, to spread his likeness and his character into all creation. So just like that spring that flowed out in, as a river into the whole world, he's created us. To, to spread that life into all creation, from the wilderness wasteland into the rest of the world. 
So in the beginning, we see that Adam and Eve, our first parents, they actually lived in communion and union with God. They actually got it. They actually looked to him to quench their thirst until they didn't. And this is the thing. We as human beings, we eventually, you know, I remember talking to one of our kids and they're like, why didn't Adam and Eve have to sin? And I was like, dude, the thing is, I would have done it. You would have done it. This is just our part of our brokenness is, is that we would fall into rebellion against God. So one of those spiritual beings that rebelled against God convinced Adam and Eve that, hey, maybe God wasn't actually going to be able to quench their thirst. Maybe there's something better out there. And so they actually believe that. They think, hey, you know what? I think I could get what I want in a way that is kind of separate and apart from this God creature here. They were thirsty for more, and they decided to quench their thirst on their own terms. Anyone else ever been there? <laughs> and they joined the rebellion. And what we see is that partnership was fractured. Everything changed. They used to walk with God in the cool of the day. And then all of a sudden they're hiding. They're naked and unashamed. And then now they're hiding. They were walking with God and now they're hiding from God. But God comes and finds them in their shame and in their hiding and their delusion. And he asks them, hey, where are you? I, I want you to come back. I want to quench your thirst. I'm the only one who can actually do this. And the tragedy is, in, in that interaction, they actually lose access to the river of life, what used to bring them sustenance and life, what we read about in Psalm 1 this week, this whole river of, of life, they lost access to it. Mm -hmm. But the story progresses as, as God actually needs to rescue humanity from the wilderness again. He's like, I am not content with this being the end of the story. I created you to experience what I've always known. I want to quench your thirst. And so we, we read on in the story of Scripture about, uh, we read about all these prophecies about God doing what he did in Eden again, uh, creating a new kind of Eden and a new kind of people where eventually he's going to pour out his spirit, his presence again, is going to be made manifest amongst them. And then we also read that, so there's this ongoing promise that it's going to happen. I'm going to come and I'm going to restore. I'm going to, again, in the middle of your wilderness due to your rebellion and sin and shame and all that stuff, I'm going to establish a spring that's going to flow out into the rest of the world. But in the midst of that, in the process of getting to that, there's one scripture that kind of came to mind this week as I was studying from Jeremiah chapter 2. And this is uh, Yahweh speaking through Jeremiah the prophet to the people of Israel. He says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Two things are happening here in this whole process of, of, of having a real drought within us and trying to quench it. We see that as we rebel and we think, hey, I can do this on my own, or I can find something besides God to quench this thirst. The process is this. Number one, we forget God. Anyone else ever done that? They, we forget God and we try to get through life on our own. This is something we all do. And maybe you don't realize it yet, but you, you will at one point in your life, I'm sure. We think, you know what, God, I think I've got this. I think I can do this. I think that this coffee will actually make this headache go away and not shrink my liver or whatever it's doing to me. There's a drought in our soul, and the question is, how is it going to be quenched? And so very often we forget that God is the only thing that can quench it. And then the thing we do is we start to dig these cisterns. We start to come up with our own ways to kind of store what we think is going to get us through. And eventually those things begin to wither and fall apart, and they, they can't even hold what we're longing to, to, to be held within it to actually sustain us. They break apart. In short, in other words, coffee won't quench my thirst 
The things we do to quench our thirst outside of God himself will only leave us frustrated. This is futile. Anyone ever filled a bucket that has a hole in it? Like, what is going on? And so often we're stuck in our lives because that's what we're actually trying to do. We're forgetting God, and we're digging these cisterns. We're putting energy and effort and time and probably strategy thinking, you know, if I could just re-engineer this thing. And the point is like, no, forget the cisterns. You've forgotten God. There's a drought in our soul, and the question is, how is it going to be quenched? And this brings us to our text today. And this is a, uh, in John chapter 7. We've reached the part of the gospel where Jesus is in Jerusalem for one of these Jewish, Jewish feasts called the, the, uh, or festivals called the Festival of Booths. And um, from what I gather, this was like one of the good ones. This is one of the ones that the kids were excited about. They're like, yes, Festival of Booths. And I think the reason the kids were excited about it is because it involved camping. Um, I hate camping. I don't know if I came through that comment. But what they would do is they would have these flat roofs, and they would actually camp out on their roof for a week. So everyone would make a little tent on their flat roof, and instead of sleeping inside, that would, that would be so, I'd be like, what are we doing? My bed is right there. I mean, we have camps in our backyard, so I shouldn't act like I haven't done that. Um, but all these festivals, the Jewish festivals, they actually have a purpose because what they're doing is they're celebrating and they're remembering God's faithfulness in the past. And while they're doing that, they're also asking him to do it again. And so with this particular festival, what they would do is they would live out on their flat roofs in a tent for a week, and they called these tents booths. And this would be to reenact and remember the story of Israel living out in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They would remember that they were a nomadic people, but that in the midst of their wilderness wandering, God kept his word, that he was faithful, and that he had given them the land over time. And they'd remember that God provided everything they needed while in the midst of the wilderness. So that's one of the things they're remembering at the Festival of Booths. The other thing they're remembering is this really interesting story in the midst of their wandering, where Moses was pleading with God, like, man, these people are driving me crazy. We've got no water. What am I going to do? And, and Yahweh says, I want you to hit this rock, and from this rock, water's going to flow out. And he does it, and Yahweh keeps his word, and there's this incredible thing that happens where God provides where there's no way. Yeah. All of a sudden, a river was flowing, and they could drink, and they were able to be sustained. So this is the other thing they're remembering, is that this, at this festival, they cry out, um, in our day, God, would you do it again? Do it again, or you've done it before. Let there be another Moses. Let this rock flow again. That's what they'd be saying. Mm -hmm. And so this also is all this this whole festival is also referencing a scripture passage from the prophet Ezekiel that I want to read. This is from Ezekiel chapter 47. So there's a lot going on here. It's interesting. We can read the Bible just kind of flat, like on the last and final day of the festival. But I'm like, what's actually going on here? So there's way more symbolism. And, and story behind what we're reading. So, actually, our Ezekiel 47. And this is just a beautiful picture of, of God's heart. So, our Ezekiel 47. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits 
and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to my waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river where I arrived there. I, oh, sorry, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the, to the Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So, there the, so where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Aglium. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Beautiful. So the temple is at this stage the locus point of God's presence on earth at this time. The overlap of heaven and earth is there in the temple. And this picture is about this idea of God's presence overflowing out of the temple, down the stairs, into the streets, and out down all the way to the Dead Sea. Over like everything. Water teeming with life. It goes from ankle deep to thigh deep to waist deep. So all of a sudden you're swimming. You're submerged in it. So these two stories, the story of, of Moses hitting the rock and the story of, from Ezekiel 47 set the tone for the festival that Jesus is attending. Camping out on their flat roofs and asking for God's presence to flow out into the world around them. So what they would do is for seven days, they would reenact these two stories together. And so it's really interesting. So I want you to use your imagination here for a second. Imagine being in uh, Jerusalem at the time, and some commentaries I was reading said up to like a million people are pressed in to be around the temple at this point to, to witness this. And each day, the high priest would come out with an empty cup. He'd come to the top of the stairs with an empty cup, and he'd have an empty cup. He'd walk down the stairs to the pool of Siloam, and as he was walking down, the, Isra the people of Israel would be singing psalms, be singing, rem reminding God of who he is, reminding one another of who God is remembering his faithfulness in the past. And as he would draw from that pool, he would say, with joy I draw from the water, I'm sorry, with joy I draw water from the well of salvation, from the prophet Isaiah. Cool. And then the high priest would walk back up the stairs, and what he would do is he would pour the water down the steps as a prophetic act and symbolic act of what they're trusting God to do again. Wow. Cool. Saying, hey God, bring us water like he did from the rock going down to the pool of Siloam, and also, pour out your spirit so that's going to flow all the way down to the Dead Sea. Yeah. Wow. So do this day after day after day after day. Once a day for the first six days, and on the seventh day, the last and final day, they do it seven times. Wow. So somewhere in the midst of this enacting, like the prophetic act of going down and grabbing the water and pouring the water down the steps, this is when Jesus says what he says. So imagine like the, the silence as the, the high priest, the reverence that's going on 
as the high priest comes out to the, to the top of the steps. And all of a sudden, in this crowd of like a million people, you hear this voice. He says, hey, anyone thinking about water? Anyone thirsty? Actually, come to me. I'm the one who's going to actually, like, I'm the one the scriptures are talking about. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I am the fulfillment of the temple, Jesus is saying. I am the rock in the desert. And it's the Holy Spirit who is going to flow out into the deadest places through you. Through you. From you, the water is going to flow. There's a drought in your soul, and I know how to quench it. It's the Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. You guys ever heard of him? Yeah, uh, In Ephesians 5, he says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I've heard some commentaries, like, or heard some debate that actually the translators have a hard time uh, actually translating that verb, be filled. It's something like, be being filled. Or essentially what they're saying is, hey, go on being filled with the Spirit. Which kind of reminds me of this picture. It's like, hey, you're ankle deep, then you're knee deep, then you're waist deep, then you're, you're in the river. Billy Graham once wrote, uh, he, he did some traveling, I think. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is, is their Christian experience is not all they had expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. You could switch the word hungry for thirsty and go with our story today. The invitation, the instruction is, hey, go on being filled with the Spirit. Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, swimming. I've also heard a teaching, I was trying to remember where I heard it, that another way of thinking about this word, I can't remember if it was a word they were using this as an analogy, is learning to, that we're actually called to be pickled in the Spirit. It's, it's to flavor us. It's to flavor how we live our lives and how we experience lives, how other people experience our lives. There's a noticeable thing we need to pickle. It like leaves a little bit of a, an aftertaste, right? Be pickled in the spirit. Drenched, but to get there, you have to be drenched and fully submerged. You don't like sprinkle pickling powder on a cucumber. There's this process of like actually living within this concoction of vinegar and whatever else. I don't know how to pickle stuff. But you're in there, and you're becoming slowly flavored by the dill and the garlic and the peppercorns or whatever, and that's getting into you. It preserves your life, too. Preserves your life. There you go. Very. Thank you. So there's so much there. The, the point I'm trying to make, though, is pickles make you thirsty, so I don't know how this fits into it. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, we're making the world thirsty for more. There we go. Really, we're preaching together today. It's good. Um, We'll look at this more in the coming weeks. My hope today is just to kind of get us thinking. Like, am I actually, I am thirsty, and where am I going to quench this thirst? And maybe there's more. Maybe this frustration I feel in my life is because I'm pouring water into these 
broken cisterns. And I've forgotten God somehow along the way. And so what we're going to talk about next week, I'm really excited about, is really like all of what we're talking about is this invitation from God to live within the very center of reality, which is the Father, Son, and Spirit relationship. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. We're talking about being swept up into the relationship that birthed creation itself, that, that, that subsists and that, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself into next week's sermon, but like, there's so much there for us, but we settle for something so lesser than. And we say, this is Christianity. That's the sad thing. And so union with God is his desire for us. So the God of the universe is inviting you and I into the very center of their love and to live from that love into the world around us. So in closing, are you thirsty? We were made to live in a place of being sustained by the water of life given to us by God. We went our own way. We are going our own way. We are digging our own broken cisterns. Jesus comes to remind us that he's going to restore the river of life by sending his spirit. Paul, the apostle, instructs us to keep on being filled with the spirit. And that living water that is meant to flow in us is not meant to just stay there. It's meant to flow out through us into the world around us. Yeah. So are you thirsty? David Watson says this, It is only the Holy Spirit who can quench the deepest thirst of the human heart. Because it is only the Holy Spirit who can show us the beauty of Jesus and fill us with the love of God. Indeed, when we have drunk this glorious living water, it will spoil our thirst for everything else. Yeah. That's good. So just a couple thoughts, and then um, I'll pray for us. So this weekend, I was, this, this weekend, this morning specifically, as I was praying and preparing, I, I just thought about the picture of Ezekiel 47. such a beautiful picture. But the one thing I felt significant for us this morning is um, the bit about the water flowing all the way into the Dead Sea. You guys catch that bit? And so I learned this week, and some of you guys might already, might already know this, is that, that the Dead Sea is actually the lowest point on Earth. It's interesting. And so this is really good news for us for this reason. If you're stuck this morning, you feel like you're existing and living in like the lowest point of your life, that like, can anything good ever reach where I actually am? What, what the text begins to tell us and what Jesus fulfills is like, yes, the spirit can reach the lowest point on earth. Mm-hmm. And not only can it reach that point, it can actually restore life to that yeah, point. That's right. And what was dead is now a lot, actually teeming with life, that's it right. says. This is really good news. So if you're stuck this morning, specifically in like a shame cycle of like, I'm never gonna get out of here. I am so far gone, there is no hope for me. You think, you feel like there are parts of yourself that are so far below the sea level. They're irredeemable. You're hopeless for any type of transformation. Take heart. This text is telling us the presence of God restores life to the Dead Sea. Dead sea. It reaches the lowest points. The second thing is, um, I had this picture uh, the last couple days, and have you guys ever seen a time lapse of like a to dry like a dry riverbed in, in like a desert, and they show the water starting to come from the rainy season. In the beginning, like the water's just flowing super quick, and then eventually it fills up into a river. Anyone else? I don't know why I have this memory, um, but I just felt like that's an encouragement to some of us in, in, in two ways. 
One thing I think when you think about a river or, or a, a dry riverbed in, a, in a, like a wilderness situation or in a desert, some of those cracks that are there go really deep. Mm -hmm. right. And so I think if we think about the last couple of years, and we don't want to say the C word, COVID, don't say um, it. but a lot of like what we've gone through the last few years has actually done a lot more damage than we can see yeah. in a lot of our lives and in our relationships. Yeah. And some of those, like you walk past a crack, you don't really know how deep it goes. Um, but but God knows that all those spaces need to be filled up in your life. Yeah. And so the encouragement, is I'm going to get there, is that just because you can't see the river filling up doesn't mean that God isn't healing some of those deep wounds in you. That's good. And that eventually that, that river does actually fill up. Yeah. And so my encouragement is be patient. That God is faithful to complete what he started in you. And that although you might not be able to see it, that river is beginning to flow again. That's just what I felt like God was saying for you this morning. So those two things. Don't be discouraged if you feel like your life is the Dead Sea. Because God's Spirit can run, can flow all the way into that lowest part of your life and restore and redeem and bring life. And have patience in the midst of dry times, thinking that there's no hope because over time those dry cracks are going to be filled. So good. So, Dan, do you want to sing again or what do you want to do, bro? Okay, so I'm going to invite Dan back up. And so I, I'm not trying to be manipulative. I do think there's some thirsty people in the room here. I know I am. And so I think as we respond, guys, and just into the next you know, chunk of time, um, I just want to encourage you to humbly ask God to fill you up. God, fill me up with your spirit. His desire is for you to, to, to live within him. He wants to live inside you. He wants to flow in you and through you into your world. <laughs> And so if you're here this morning and maybe you're like, this is new to you and you're a little bit intimidated, like, I, I'd love to pray with you. There's people here that would love to pray with you. We, this is a, a joy, like to, hey, Holy Spirit, fill this person. That's, that's such a joy. So don't feel like you're a burden in any way if that's you this morning. And I just want to read a scripture, two scriptures actually, and then I'll shut up. Jesus in Luke 11 says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, listen to this, who are evil, know how to good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. There's nothing we have to do to trick him into it. He's not going to trick you and actually give you something you don't want. We are empty vessels who are needing to be filled. We are thirsty people who are, whose thirst only can be quenched by the Spirit. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to read, I've been reading this prayer as we kind of close from Ephesians 3 over us the last few weeks. But this is the Apostle Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. I think it fits kind of what we're talking about this morning. And then we'll close with some singing and just invite you to stand now if you are able. Yes. So, this is Ephesians chapter 3. So if you're here this morning and you're, you're willing to acknowledge your thirst, you're willing to trust God that he can actually quench it, I, I would just encourage you to open up your hands. Yes. It's a posture of receiving. For some of us, that looks like actually laying down those shovels and tools we've been using to, to dig those broken cisterns even. 
broken buckets and toil. Or it's been trust that there's a good Father who loves us, who wants to give us the Spirit. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.